0: welcome to uninvisible I'm your host Lauren Friedman and I'm here with my guests to bring you info insights and inspiration for coping with diagnosing and treating invisible illness we're here over sharing so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore okay guys I've cooked up something amazing with my friend natalie y beavers founder of angels of epilepsy and it's all yours for free now go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called hacking healthcare a resource guide natalie and i have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents from a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Nicole Jones. Macole lives with a condition called polymyositis. She's an advocate for the condition. She's going to talk to us all about it. So Macole, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, such a pleasure. Yeah. So nice to meet you. You too. Absolutely. So everyone knows I I love to start at the very beginning of the story. And I Mm -hmm. would love for you to tell us when and how you were diagnosed with polymyositis and how you have gotten yourself to a place of function and health.
1: I would honestly say it's been a journey and sometimes, um, you know, it's a, it's a continuous journey. And even though I'm right now, I'm, you know, I'm better, um, it, it's never ending, but, um, it first started, I first started showing symptoms in my late twenties and, um, I've never been sick before. So I wasn't born with the disease. Um, I've never been hospitalized or anything before that, you know, just a common cold, you know, you get the flu, but, um, it started off, I believe when I had like an infection in my leg at one point. And I went to the doctor and, um, you know, was on antibiotics for about 10 days. They sent me home. Um, I seemed to be okay after that, but after the 10 days, I noticed that my legs swelled up again, Um, and so I went back, and I kind of kept going back and forth for about a month and, you know, until I got really, really sick, and then I had to be admitted into the hospital, and once I was admitted into the hospital, they said, well, it looks like you had... Um, maybe cellulitis or a really bad infection, you know, y- you don't know how you got it. We don't know how you got it, but you know, you're okay. And I was in the hospital,
0: hospitalized for about a week.
1: And I pretty much that's thought- a, that- That's
0: a really long time to be hospitalized. <laughs> to me, it sounds like you got an infection and they didn't treat it properly. And so now you have an infection. Right, and that's
1: kind of how you know it felt and Mm. um, then being in the hospital for a week i was on antibiotics intravenously that entire time and so i was just like okay um that's the first time i was ever hospitalized in my life Mm. and I, i was sent home thinking that everything after that was going to be fine i would say within the time after that within two months into that time I was feeling very, very weak. um the stuff that I was normally able to do I would come home, lift up my garage. you know, I was trying to lift up the garage. I noticed I couldn't lift it up anymore. I was going to the cabinets to take out a cup or you know get a plate, and I was kind of missing it, you know, I was like reaching over and I didn't get it. But, you know, I was in my late 20s. I had so much going on. I had like three jobs. And in New York, everyone is always doing something. So I was super busy Hmm. at that time. So I kind of just took it as I'm just tired. Maybe I'm just feeling burnt out. Um, And then I end up having bruises all over my body. And I am super clumsy. So again, I wasn't really thinking that anything was wrong until I fell sick again. And then I got hospitalized. And once that happened, they said, "Well, you know, you were hospitalized about, you know, a month or two ago, and your white blood cell count is high. Something is definitely going on." Mm -hmm. And from there, it was just, it just went downhill, and uh, it took about three, almost three years to diagnose me. So wow. I, they told me that I had everything under the sun, you know, which is scary.
0: Cause it's like any kind of diagnosis that they could possibly give you. They're all either lifelong or chronic or something that like could be very serious. So playing around with diagnoses isn't fun for three years either. It's not, it's not, it was extremely scary. Um, mm-hmm. and
1: you know, I didn't know what was happening again. Like, you know, I was just thinking, at that time, even though I had like a part-time job at that time in healthcare, I figured you, you know, you get sick, you go to the doctor, they figure it out, you get treatment and it's done. Mm. And that's not what was happening to me. And then it wasn't anything that was normal. You know, they were telling me cellulitis, they were telling me lymphoma, they said mm-hmm. lupus.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was waiting said, for you to suggest lupus. Yeah, there.
1: Yeah. Lyme disease, scleroderma mm-hmm. And it was just blow after blow after blow. And it was a very, it was a very dark time, very depressing time yeah. for me because, you know, no one wants to hear that. And, and nobody you know,
0: offered you mental health support. I imagine. No, no
1: absolutely not. Sometimes I, oh, I always say that. I always say, you know what, even though it takes a toll on your body, I, it took more of a mental toll on me than anything.
0: Yeah. And then I that affects not the prepared. physical.
1: Exactly. So it's sort of a vicious cycle, yeah. It, exactly, and it, it it was a vicious cycle, and um, it was the darkest time in my yeah. life. Yeah.
0: Well, and you were progressively getting sicker and sicker. It sounds like, and that's the kind of thing where, you know, when you have that, when you're living with that uncertainty umbrella hanging over your head, you know, like right. that's that's very frightening. And I imagine there was also a distrust of the medical system at this point too, because of this, you know, this idea that maybe it's their fault that you got this infection that got you sick. Absolutely, and I did, you know, the health
1: system that I was in at that time, um, you know, I, and I went, they were good doctors, but of mm. course it had me second guessing and saying, you know, are they are they not doing this correctly? You know, what's going on? And I did wind up having to leave that health system to kind of get the best treatment. But, you know, um, polymitositis, is So rare it masked my symptoms were masking so many things. So, you know, as I think of it later you know, and I've met other people that have lupus or have different chronic conditions. I'm just like, Oh my god, I have the same symptoms. So now when I think about it, of course, in those beginning stages, they possibly thought that it was those things. But then when they, when I was actually tested for it, it came back negative. Um, and it was just hard it was rough because you know the the hardest thing is getting to the to the diagnosis you want to know what it is but there was times where i was so scared to find out the diagnosis because after you told me so many things that it could be and then it wasn't it was just like oh my god what do i have you know what's you know what's going on it was just mm. a monkey wrench was thrown in my life it was absolutely the worst time of my life.
0: Well, and it's interesting too, because, you know, this happened in your late twenties when you're perfectly able-bodied and all of a sudden you are literally disabled, you know, yeah, Yeah. and this is a disease polymyositis from what I understand that we don't really know exactly what causes it because it is potentially an autoimmune disorder, right? Mm -hmm. It is. So can you tell us a little bit about it and how it's affected your body?
1: Yes. What it does is with polymyositis,
0: it's under the
1: muscular dystrophy um, so there's like myositis, there's dermatitis, there's polymyositis, and mine's, um, you know, increased rather rapidly to the point that I remember kind of be almost becoming a vegetable. And I, I remember the days where I was just so incredibly weak, where I couldn't even lift my head up off the pillow. Um, I couldn't move, I couldn't walk. Um, It was it was devastating. So it's a it's a mobility issue. It's definitely a disability because it's affecting your entire body, mainly my arms and my legs. So even to this day, and I'm now in my late 30s, um, I still cannot get my arms over my head. I can't reach out for you if I wanted to. If I wanted to. um, I basically taught myself how to do a lot of things because I had to. Um, but it affects you every single day. Every day I'm weak, you know. Even mm-hmm. though you you have good days and bad days, I've never gained back that muscle that right. I lost because and it is a
0: progressive
1: it, disease exactly. as
0: well. Yeah, right. So I mean, are there management treatments for this disease? How does that look? Were you offered rehab at the very least? I mean, <laughs> so yes, I was
1: offered rehab, but rehab. Ag- because polymyositis is a disease that it's very rare and usually everyone that i encounter doesn't know what to do with it i went to rehab a couple of times and i it, it to me it was just a waste of time um because they didn't know what to do with me and i found that mm-hmm. you know they were kind of like you know lift your leg do this do that and i felt like you know what if you're not going to help me do it, because obviously I can't do it, then I could just go to the gym and do this myself. Yeah. Um, So they really didn't know how to help me. Um, It was very scary when um, I noticed that, you know, I was losing mobility in my fingers and I couldn't, I Mm. couldn't write, you know, anymore. You just kind of see yourself going downhill. Um, They are different. There's a number of treatments for polymyositis. So, um, it's, it's about finding that right, I call it cocktail. And mm. the cocktail for everybody is different. Where um, I've been on so many different infusions, um, Ben Lista, IVIG. Um, I'm on one right now that I cannot pronounce the name, so I'm not <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you. We don't need to. We don't need to shout out
0: these pharma companies. They don't need yeah. our money.
1: Um, you know, I can't pronounce the name because I always say it wrong. But But I it's another infusion. It's another infusion that um, it's kind of like an old one that I used to take was rituximab, and I do it twice a year. Of course, while taking other medications, and then um, I take you know, endless vitamins and everything Mm. to try to keep my immune system up because, um, within the last two years, um, the, the polymyositis, the inflammation spread to my lungs and I was diagnosed with ILD, which was like another blow. So now tell us
0: what ILD is.
1: It's intestinal lung disease. Wow. And, um, that was d- very difficult to deal with because, um, I thought I had a cold. Right. And, um, I, you, you, because it is an autoimmune condition, you know, I, I'm very susceptible to getting sick. So, you know, I don't get over the common cold. If someone has a cold around me, I'm like, Oh God, please, you know, yeah. you're going to get over it. But I definitely have, even though they'll like, be sick for, I'll be sick for six weeks. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's what exactly happens. And mm-hmm. for some strange reason, even though they say antibiotics doesn't, doesn't normally work for some strange reason. Even on the cold, it works for me. But who wants to go through all that? So I usually try not to get sick. But um, my cough persisted for over a month, and then you know my doctor, my rheumatologist, always said, "Listen, if you start to ever have any lung issues, you need to let me know right away." And, you know, after a month of going into it, I just happened to email her and I said, Hey, I'm experiencing, you know, some lung issues, but I think I have a cold. And of course, you know, everything with me is always extra that <laughs> I feel it's never anything simple. Mm. And, um, after testing, they said that, you know, it spread to my lungs and, um, wow. that was another blow.
0: So is this something that might have an effect on your mortality as well? Like, like, have you had to sort of face that kind of concern? Um, yeah, mm. yeah,
1: definitely. Wow. Um, that's it, really scary. It is. it is. Yeah. Um, there's so many things that I feel like um the disease robs you of. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's in, you know, I call it an invisible illness because it is, you yes, know, you're, you're going to look at me and you're not going to think anything of it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't carry myself that way. You know, I'm still the same female that I was. I'm still extremely girly. You know, I come out, even when I have my infusions and I do my infusions, I will come with my laptop, my workbook and everything mm-hmm. for work and my dress. And they'll be like, where's this girl walking in here? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Like, yeah it's, it, no, it's me. Um, but you know, I don't look like anything is wrong yet. I have all these things going on inside of me and I will never forget there was a surgeon that the one that actually diagnosed me because I had multiple biopsies. And when he first met me, I noticed he walked out the room and he came back in and he said, you know, when he sat down and counseled me, he said, I had to really see if you were really the person on paper, because on paper you look Sick, but what I'm looking at in front of me doesn't look like the person on paper. He told me, he said, You're going to have a very difficult time because mm-hmm. no one is going to believe you. And wow. that stayed with me and it's the truth to yeah. this day.
0: Absolutely. Well, that's the fact of living with invisible illness and being female and being a woman of color, which we're going to talk about yeah. more too. You know, the likelihood of being believed goes down a notch with each of these layers of invisibility, really. So, it sounds like this is something where, I mean, certainly in a climate like this, in the midst of this COVID pandemic, right? Oh. You are someone who is considered high risk, who yes, looks I perfectly am. healthy on the outside. Yep. And when people don't wear a mask around you, they risk your life.
1: Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. And COVID was uh, is, is very scary, especially in New York, where we really had, I mean, we're doing much better right mm. now. Uh, but in march april yeah. may it was extreme it was you know it, it was surreal mm. um and it was very scary luckily um i was i've been remote the entire time and i'm still remote right now mm. um but um i'm 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 nervous you know to be around people especially the fact that i have lung issues yeah. and um so yeah you know with covid it just increases your anxiety. I, I have good days, I have bad days, but at the same time, you know, I try to keep myself together and keep my immune system as strong as I can. Yeah. Um, because you just never know and you kind of have to live your life. But um, being secluded is a lot. Mm. I've been, you know, I have good days and bad days and maybe the past few days weren't so good. But right. Yeah. But
0: thank goodness for virtual connecting, right? Yeah. 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 So it sounds like I mean you were experiencing all of this as an adult. So you were having to learn to advocate for yourself because mm-hmm. you'd never really had a health crisis before. Right. Have you leaned on anyone else for emotional, mental, you know, physical support or has it really just been your lot to step up and learn? Um my mother. Oh. My
1: mother is um, definitely my advocate, I, def- I advocate for myself, mm. but, um, there was a lot coming at me at one time. And there were times where I, I seen so many specialists and I see so many specialists at times where I think I blank out and you can't mm. remember everything that's being said to you. And especially during the beginning, those years where you we were trying to figure it out, I had to count on my mother so much mm. um, to be there. And it, it took a toll on her because of course she sees her, I'm um, her only daughter. And, you know, she seems that, you know, that, I was okay one day and the next day I wasn't okay. And it was just downhill from there. So it took a huge toll on her, but it made us incredibly close. Mm. Um, we were always close, but it, we have grown closer due to it. And I can't even picture my life without her. Yeah. Um, she's there every step of the way. And um, she's been a great help to me. Yeah. Because even though I'm at a stage where I'm, I'm more, um, i more better now that I'm able to do more because I've taught myself. I wouldn't have probably been able to be this way if it wasn't without her. Yeah.
0: yeah. And is that something as well? Like, I mean, her as your mother watching you be sick and like stepping up to take care of you. We expect at a certain point for those relationships to shift, right? For us right. to be taking care of our parents. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it may not work out that way because exactly you're chronically exactly. ill. So how has that also affected like the trajectory of the way you see your relationship with your mom?
1: Um, I, f- you know, I feel bad because sometimes you always feel like it's just so much.
0: Hmm.
1: And I feel there's many days that I feel like a burden because there's days mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with myself. Right. So, you know, I want my mother to have her own life, you know, and there's times where she would sacrifice so much just for me. She's just like, no, I have to help you, you know, and, um, as she's basically my caregiver. Um, I'm independent and I'm able to do a lot of things. Um, on my own now, but at the same time, you know, those people that do take care of you and those caregivers, they need more credit because at the same time, you're not the only one that's going through it. It affects your entire family and it affected her a lot. And it still does. There's so many times where she'll just look at me and she'll just like, you know, by the way, she calls me Mickey from a Sure, short. She's like, mm-hmm. hey, Mickey, I'm so sorry. Like this happened to you. And we'll just have like these little breakdown mm-hmm. moments. But, you know, at the same time, it made us um, you know, live life and we go on vacations together and we go shopping together. We do so many things together and um, it's unfortunate, but um, it's made us so much closer. So, And you're
0: making the yeah. most of it really. Exactly. It like. yeah. yeah. So walk to. us through, I mean, I know there's probably no such thing as typical, right? But What a day looks like for you, generally speaking. How are you, I know when you said when you were first diagnosed, you had like three jobs, you know, like how are you balancing the demands of work and life as you're managing potential symptoms and like understanding and trying to take the space and time to listen to your body, but also be an active member of your community. What does that look like for you?
1: Every day is different. You know, I, I can never... I'm, a, I'm very much of a planner, but then I can't always plan because I can plan on what I want to do, but I never know how I'm gonna wake up. I don't never, I never know how I'm gonna be day to day. I can wake up in the morning and be fine. And you know, a few hours later, I can just, my body can go into a severe flare. I can be in pain for a few hours, a few, you know, or it can last several days. There's days where I've been in pain for three days straight. <laughs> and I I, wow. I I still don't even know how I I actually deal with that because there's there's mm-hmm. different levels of pain. There's functional pain where I can be at work, right, and I can be in meetings, and maybe I'll take you know a tramadol or something, and I'll be uncomfortable, but you know I I can still make it. And then there's times where there is pain where it's just at a level where I just. I feel like, Oh my God, knock me out. Like I, there's no way I can get through it. And when it lasts for several days, you're, you're just hoping that, Oh my God, please stop. Just please stop. And you have no control. Like there is no control of my body anymore. There's nothing that I can do. And um, that's what hurts the most. And then once I'm over the pain, it takes me about another three to four days just to get over it because your body has done, went through something so traumatic. Um, I probably have no, I have no energy after that. So work-wise, um, it's, there's sometimes difficult conversations that I have to have with my job. Um, for me, because I happen to work in the health IT field, um, even before COVID, they always had that business model where you could work remote. So, um, yeah, so I was actually in the right field at the right time and I've been in healthcare IT for about eight years. So the only thing is like, oh, I always kind of worked remote, but I always traveled. So when it came to my, it was either I was home or I was traveling and I had a very, very heavy travel schedule. And that's when of course, I would get worried because I never knew how I was going to be when I would travel, but you know, you have to do what you have to do. And some people, sometimes people ask me like, how do you do it? But I have no choice because disability is not an option for everyone. You know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't pay the bills. It doesn't even pay my car. No.
0: Absolutely not. Well, and when you're on disability, there are limits to how much you can actually earn outside of disability, which keep you in the poverty bracket.
1: Exactly. And I don't, I don't, I don't even know how they do it. And that's the thing. Like I have a home, like Mm. who's going to pay the mortgage. And then when these things happen to you, there is an increase in your costs. I had to spend so much money in my home, just rearranging things so that it could be easier for me um, to, to just be independent. I had to buy a new car. I can't even deal with having like a regular car or older car because all the features in a newer car is actually safer for me because it's easier for me to navigate. Yeah. So, you know, I I felt like I was always a little prima donna before, but like now (laughs) it's just like, you're
0: extra, extra now (laughs) I'm,
1: I'm extra, but you know, these things are not no longer they're more of a necessity now. And it's the only way that you can kind of stay independent because you don't want to always have to rely on people to do everything. You have to learn, you have to make a way
0: not to mention the increase in your healthcare expenses as well. I mean, oh this is God. like your oh living expenses, God. but like you're going to the doctor more, you're paying for more medications and mm-hmm. you have to pay out of pocket even when you have a deductible for these things. And it adds up. And there is a lot that insurance I'm sure doesn't want to cover for you. Oh, they
1: don't, they don't. I just recently had an infusion and I got a bill, you know, the insurance paid one half and you the bill that I have, oh uh, my God, it's mind blowing. But you know, it's just like, what? Do, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. You know, it, 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 you know, please, I hope I don't tear up at any point, but um, it's you're allowed, kind of this is, this is your space. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, this is the thing, this is the only thing that's helping me live right now. This is yeah. the only treatment that's making me have a way of life and I can't afford it. Yeah. So what do I do? Do I tell them to stop, you know, to stop their treatment? Then what happens to me then? Um, it, 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 it's, it's unbelievable, you know, and these are the things that people just don't see or they just don't know.
0: Yeah. And it's part of the brokenness of our system, which is not creating opportunities for people who are living with chronic illness, which we will also get into in a minute, but Mm -hmm. Okay, guys, I want to talk about coaching. I recently connected with an awesome executive and life coach, and her name is Jenna Chieco, a graduate of Dr. Martha Beck's program with a background in psychology and law. She's a former tech general counsel and chief of staff who also worked for the Obama administration. Jenna inspires clients to step into their best lives by helping them access their inner strengths, clear the cobwebs holding them back, and cultivate a dream big growth mindset. She is also a life Sherpa for navigating change. You know who I know who has big dreams and is navigating massive changes now more than ever with coronavirus? We Spoonies. Jenna works virtually and she's offering 10% off to new clients who enroll and mention code INVISIBLE. Her rates are reasonable and she's dedicated to help us rise to the top. Go to jennachieco.com, that's G-E-N-A-C-H-I-E-C-O.com for more. I know before you mentioned that this idea of people not believing you. And I I would love for you to talk to us if you have any particular examples that come to mind of situations in which you've been confronted and forced to validate the existence of your diagnosis to people who didn't understand it either because they didn't know what it was or because they couldn't see it because it is invisible. Um, Can you talk us through how those situations may have manifested for you in the past?
1: Um yeah so I I kind of go through this all the time it's kind of like my way of life. <laughs> um you know one of them is I have a handicap pass and um having a handicap pass is it's it's definitely needed because I can't even lift five pounds, you know, I can't even get my arms over my head. So I need to go grocery shopping. I need to go to doctor's appointments. And if I go grocery shopping, I have a whole bunch of bags. If my car is parked all the way in the back, I can't do anything. So, of course, me having the handicap pass and I'm able to park my car in the front, um, that helps me out a lot. There's times where I get, you know, comments or nasty stares like you know what is she doing with that handicapped She doesn't look handicapped because i'm not coming out of my car necessarily with a cane there's times i have there's times i have and there's times i even faked it honestly because i just didn't want to see the stairs and it's so sad that i feel like i have to fake things just so that i don't get questioned or you know get nasty uh looks Mm-hmm. Or definitely when, because I travel a lot for work or when I just go on vacation, I would have, I, I utilize the handicap where you can, um, use the wheelchair services. And, um, it was a little embarrassing for me. It took me a while to get there because it was I know that way. feeling. Yeah. It was just like, I'm like in my thirties. What do you mean that I need to use a wheelchair? But.
0: Yeah. It's also that question of like identity and how much am I seeing myself as disabled or right. able-bodied and, and it, how much am I willing to accept, right?
1: And, and it was hard, it was very hard for me to accept. Mm. And it's sometimes still hard for me to accept, but you know, I have to do what I have to do. Mm. And um, you know, in, in New York airports, especially somewhere like JFK, it's huge. You know, sometimes I'm wiped out walking through that airport or if I'm going on vacation for my leisure time, sometimes it's about preserving your energy so that oh, I can yes. have a good time when I'm there. But even when I'm going through the checkpoints, um, I remember there was a time where I, um, went through the checkpoint and I happened to whisper cause they want you to lift your arms so they can search you. And I said, listen, I can't lift my arms up. So can you just take the wand and like, search me? We can go to the side or anything. Mm. And she was like, what, what? And I was mm. just like, well, you know, and when I say polymyositis, they they don't understand they don't know what it what it is so usually i have to lie and say i have ms because ms is something that people it's a it's a disease that people recognize it's known so yes. when you say something like polymyositis no one usually knows what that is so they it's it's kind of like well whatever mm. so i usually have to say i have ms or something else and i when i come in the wheelchair i may have my shades on because i you know i get a lot of stairs because I don't ever look like anything is wrong with me, but you know, I can't lift my arms up. I can't um, take my luggage and lift it up over my head um, to put it, you know, on in the airplane. I'm susceptible to falls. If I fall down, I can't even get up and no one's going to help me because they're going to look at you and say, why don't you get up? But I can't, I'm that weak at times. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah so that's that's something that i go through on a daily basis and even sometimes Mm. when having hard discussions with jobs you know that you need a little flexibility um i thank god that again you know the type of the field that i'm in they're supportive of Mm. the remote model but i still had to have certain discussions because of course when you know you necessarily don't want to open up you don't want people to know your business but I have to tell them because if I'm doing too much, I'm never going to be my best. Yeah. And you have to remain your best. You want to keep your job and you want to do what you need to do, but sometimes you need a little flexibility to do that.
0: So true. And it's again, this like mental health, physical health, vicious cycle, right? That like one thing creates the other. Mm -hmm. And it's all connected to stigma, to other people's judgment for you as well. You know, that like, it is really the reality you're living in is one in which you are subject to other people's whims all the time, and that's not okay.
1: Mm-hmm. And yeah. No, one, yeah, no one believes you, and it's like you. I sometimes I feel that something needs to happen to me mm. in order for them to believe it you know, but like you need to
0: permanently be in the wheelchair or something exactly. for them to take but it who, seriously. And,
1: right. And who wants that? You know, I'm right. trying to do, I'm doing everything I can every single day. They told me by the time I was 32 and I remember speaking to the neurologist and he told me, and he said, you know, I need to tell you this because I need you to prepare. Mm. You know, you need to possibly look into disability, but we think by the time that you're 35 years old, you are going to be in a wheelchair. Mm. And that was, a rough blow for me. And um, yeah, I'm extremely stubborn. (laughs) And I was just like, there's no way I'm going to be in a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I did everything I can to not be, you know, I partnered very well with my doctors and I I have a great team right now, but um, it took a lot of work for that not to happen. But again, that can still happen at
0: any point, any day. So it's like a looming threat, which mm-hmm. is also an emotional stress for sure. Exactly. What about, I mean, you're talking about your doctors. What about in the healthcare system? Do you think that you've experienced undue pre- uh, prejudice, particularly as, because of the way you present? Like you're a, a woman of color walking into these medical offices. Do you think that some doctors may have taken you more seriously if you'd been a white woman, if you'd been a white man? You know, that like your gender or your race have played a role in the time it took to get diagnosed and the treatment that you've endured in the medical system? There,
1: you know, there was a time that I experienced one, um, it was with a neurologist when I was taking IVIG. And that was one of the first treatments that was given to me. And um, I was on it for some time over a year. And I told him, I said, you know, I don't see a difference in the treatment. I know that she said it's going to take some time and it's been some time but you know is there do I have any other options because you know I, I don't see anything happening and I just feel like you know we're, we're, we're doing we're continuing to do something that's not working maybe we should move on And he told me he said, well no, we're not going to do that because this treatment works for everybody and it's you know we can't there's nothing else that we can really do. And I'm like, well, I know you're saying it works for everybody, but I'm telling you, it's not working for me. And um, during another visit, when I came back to see him, I was in the waiting room and there was another lady there um, seeing her rheumatologist and she was a white woman and we were just talking and she happened to be on IV, the same, the same medication I was on. And she said, you know, Oh, that didn't work for me either. I don't know what condition she necessarily had because we didn't go into that. But she said, you know, all these other options that she was presented with when it didn't work for her. Oh, and boy. then I'm thinking about my, my last conversation a few visits ago with the neurologist telling him, you know, this was no way disrespecting his work or me thinking that, Hey, you're doing the wrong thing. What I'm just trying to say is I don't think this is working. Are there any other options? Basically to me, he said there were no other options mm-hmm. yet with this other woman. She said that, you know, they, they gave her other options. They even gave her another physician in an entire wow. different health system. And I didn't want to take it personal, but then but I But how can you not? Did. I, I, yeah. I, I, I did take it personal because I felt that I wasn't given
0: that option. Yeah. And, um, it, That's dreadful. I, I felt sad. I'm felt really sad sorry you had that. to go through that. That's really yeah. terrible. I mean, would you say that given your experience and the experiences of many other people that we hear stories about you know, it, within the medical system, that racial and gender inequality in healthcare is tantamount to a public health crisis?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think that I, I think it's very known. Um, it's 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 unfortunate because you know you can have you know a, 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 um, an African American person and a Caucasian person can have the same insurance, yet they're going to possibly give better resources to the Caucasian person versus the African American. Um, just it, of course, even when you live in a certain neighborhood or they automatically assume that you're not healthy or you don't have access to certain things or you have poor eating habits. Um, Sometimes that can be it, but you know, sometimes it's not. Everyone is not the same. Um, And I try not to look at it that way, but sometimes it's hard and I also work in healthcare. So I see things that happen like that all the time or I've met people where I'm like, oh my God, that never happened to me, but it, it happened to them.
0: So you see it all the time. Mm, it's really disheartening, but it it's is. also, uh, I suppose on the flip side, heartening that these conversations are opening up more and that it's being called out more, the systemic mm-hmm. racism and the systemic misogyny in the system, right? It starts with research, let alone right. with the treatment of patients. So mm-hmm. I applaud you for
1: sharing your experience today. And that's another thing with research. Sometimes when it comes to like, diff- you know, treatments, um, I would say, you know, I grew up in a West Indian household and stuff like that. And anytime it came to kind of like, um, you know, tests or certain things, it was just kind of like, you don't want to be anyone's guinea pig or, no. you know, so, you know, there is those stigmas where you feel like, you know, if there are trials and stuff like that, you know, you know
0: you're too scared to get involved. There's no, you're trust. Scared,
1: yeah, you're scared to get involved because there, there is no trust. And yeah. even if you didn't experience something yourself, you probably had a family member that was just going to tell you like, no, don't, don't do it.
0: Yeah. And then that's hard. Cause again, the vicious cycle, right. It's mm-hmm. like when there's distrust in the system, why would you get involved in the system to change it. And then it won't change when there are no subjects and all that. Kind exactly. Of thing. Exactly. All, yeah. That's really rough. Plus the additional mental health strain when you're dealing with this kind of discrimination as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are so many layers to it, but it is something that sounds like it's a constant awareness as well. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah can you talk to us about your advocacy work i mean you share about your experience on instagram um that seems to be your main platform but i would love for you to talk to us about the work that you do um, and how your own experience has inspired that work
1: um as far as advocacy i just i just feel that invisible illnesses need to be taken just as serious as um other chronic illness conditions that you can see um, I feel that we kind of live very lonely lives because we have to constantly explain. I am so tired of explaining. I am so tired of it. And sometimes you just don't, you you, you, you don't even want to include yourself. And you, you it's like you, you wind up being in a lonely place um, uh, where you feel like no one understands me because they don't see it. And um, there's no roadmap. And I feel like, especially people that have never been necessarily born with a disease, um, there were no images of myself. When I first found out that I had polymyositis, all I saw was images of children with muscular dystrophy um, or there were seniors. There was no one that looked like me. Definitely not an African-American person, definitely not a person in their 20s or 30s. So I felt doomed I was like oh my god you know like I don't see anyone that looks like me and I made a promise to myself and I said you know what when I get better I'm gonna make sure that I help someone you know um because I needed to see a me when I was going through it because there was none I had really no one to vent to there was one other person that I had to vent to And outside of my mother, and she's a dear friend of mine. And she was kind of going through the same thing and she has myositis. And other than that, no one else understood. So sometimes I just I just want to be a resource um, to help others because you feel very alone. And there's no roadmap, you know that no one tells you, you know, when you get a chronic illness, what do you do people are in the middle of their careers, you could be doing anything. And then there's this monkey wrench thrown in your life. And then, you know, what, what happens now? You're not even financially secure to deal with it. Mm. No one wants to help you because for, in order to get help, you have to look almost half dead. But what about if you don't want to get there? What about if you're trying and you're trying to do everything that you can so that you don't get to that place? What about if you just need assistance with your bills or just something? Mm. There's nothing for us and there's no You know, I, at that time I didn't. Now I feel like there's definitely more community because you have social media and you have people that are just like reaching out, which is wonderful because outside of work, um, I was just work and home, work and home. I hardly seen any of my friends and um, online social media just became my thing because that was just my window outside. Mm -hmm. And it was great to finally connect with, to find out that there were other people that were going through the same thing. When I found a myositis group on Facebook, I was so overjoyed about Mm -hmm. that because I had no idea that there were other people that were going through the same thing. So, you know, my, I have my Instagram uh, pretty girls get sick, and that was just because of the fact that every time I went somewhere, you know, the people would tell you, "Oh, you're you're, you're such a pretty girl. You know, you, you don't look like you're sick." And I'm just like, "Well, what does sick look like?" Yeah, because I'm sick. So, what does that look like to you? And it, it almost I felt kind of sometimes just disrespected um, when yeah. someone would tell me that. Um, so right now it's just, I have the Instagram and I also have like a Facebook group, pretty girls get sick. And, um, I try to be as open as I can on Instagram. I've met a lot of different women that suffer with things, but mm-hmm. at the same time, there's sometimes private conversations that you want to have that you just des- you necessarily can't have it in a safe space mm-hmm. on Instagram where I have a group, it's right. a few of us and that we talk, but, um they just, people just need to know that they're not alone because yeah. I felt very alone. Even though I had friends, even though I had family, if you're not going through you if you're not going through the same thing or had or experiencing something similar, you have no idea how it feels.
0: Well, and in many ways, you're, you're filling the gaps that the healthcare system is left behind, right? You know, mm-hmm. You're know, you providing resources, advice, education to people who are in the same boat as you, who don't have access to that information either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, It makes me wonder as well about the healthcare system. And I know we've talked about it a little bit already, but... I'm wondering as well if you think that the healthcare system is it even working for people at all? Like, are there positives as well as negatives? Like, where do we stand on the U.S. healthcare system right now? Are you allowed to tell us your opinion? Because I know you work in health. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, and this is the great thing. This is why I love kind of what I do because mm-hmm. now um, I'm just not. Before I would just go to work and it was very repetitive. Right, I would see patients. I I I, I deal with a lot of hospitals. I've been. And so many health systems across, you know, across the country. Mm. But um, before, I never understood what it was to be on the other side. So Mm. I would visit patients, I would see them. But you know, and you you heard their stories, and you felt sorry. But now I know how it is to definitely be on the other side. Mm. But from my personal experience, as far as what we do well is we, even though my, my disease is rare, Mm. I feel like we diagnose very well. I think Mm. that we have the tools. Almost too well,
0: maybe like if we're getting the wrong diagnosis to start
1: with. (laughs) Right. And I feel like we have the tools that we need to diagnose and we diagnose and we have the medication to treat, but where we fall short is that we're not curing the disease. Yeah. You know, no one's, you know, it's just like, okay, we found out this is what you have. Um, these are the treatments that we can use so you can have your new way of life. Mm. Um, but we're not, we're not getting to the root of it. I would love for somebody, usually we're trying to find our own antidote on our own. And, you know, we may go to, you know, you may go vegan or you may do other things on your own to try to help yourself. But I I really wish that we can get to the point where we're actually doing some research to cure it. And we're just not managing
0: the diseases. Mm -hmm. Um, Funding's not getting out to people in the right way.
1: Exactly. And I feel like that's where we're lacking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. So I want to do some top three lists with you because I I love to use this as like a quick way to get to know the people on the show a little better as well. And I wondered if we could start with a top three list. I I, I want you to tell us um, if you were talking to yourself, you know, 10, 15 years ago or, you know, to someone who's either in the middle of this chronic illness journey as well or maybe just starting out. What top three tips would you offer for someone who's living with invisible illness in terms of getting to the place where they're feeling more in control and thriving more in the way that you are?
1: Take care of yourself mm. and, 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 and know when to say no.
0: Yes, I love Know that. when
1: to say no. Um, I'm a person that sometimes you, you want to please everyone, and <laughs> you're at a point now where you're vulnerable. That's its and own chronic no-
0: illness that people pleasing, isn't it? You yeah, know?
1: it is. It really yeah. is. And you're, you were at a place before where you can probably please everybody and you can live up to certain expectations, but now you can't because you ha- you're dealing with your own thing. And it was, it was very hard for me to just say no to people and not feel terrible about it like i would say no and then i'm you know i'm like oh my god i feel so Mm. bad and i'm like why am i feeling bad like i can't do it no you know um because this is not going to be good for me you know and if you don't like it then okay you know a real friend or you know is is going to respect How you feel and Mm. not take it a a certain way and still be there for you. Mm. Um, and that's what I would say to someone. Um, be there for yourself because now you have to do what's best for you. Put you first. We always say put yourself first, but no, really put you first because if you're not good, then you can't be good for anyone else. You need to rest. You know, that whole, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I can't stand it. I hate it. Me neither. I've never been that type of a person. But definitely now you have to just, take care of yourself and, um, prioritize, they know. Yeah. And prioritize boundaries and priorities. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, because that's the only way that you're going to be okay and live your life. You know, the doctors Mm -hmm. are going to help you. They're going to do what they can do, but you also have to partner with them. And so that you can kind of live your best life. I think that sometimes people are waiting for this magic pill and you're thinking that they're going to have all the answers, but they don't. And sometimes you're not gonna get the answers and sometimes things are not gonna work out, but what can you do to help yourself and just yeah. create that environment. Sometimes you're gonna have to let go friendships that you probably thought that were gonna be around forever. And you're gonna have to let that go just so you can be a better you.
0: And that's okay. Yeah, yeah. and you need to learn that it's going to, to be okay. Mm. Yeah, I love that. What else would you offer as advice? um that's sort of three in one isn't it boundaries priorities it's going to be okay (laughs)
1: and i would just say have you know i have a really good i've just been blessed where i have a really good relationship with my physicians even down to my primary care he's kind of seen me since i came out of pediatrics (laughs) so when i got sick um he took it very personal because it was just like Mm -hmm. oh my god like how this happened but I would say try to develop a relationship with your, your specialist because they kind of become your family. Yes. And because they're helping you, they're monitoring your care. And in any way you could, um, you know, take notes, Let, you know, come when you have, when you have your appointments, don't just come to the appointment with nothing to say, keep notes in your iPhone or if you've, if you've had it flares or different, or, or even if you notice something that you think that can help you bring that to them. Mm. Um, It's about developing this relationship because they become part of your family. Like I've been with my rheumatologist now for several years and I I feel like I can't live without her, (laughs) you know? Um, I, even when I think about moving, sometimes I'm just like, oh my God, like what, you know, I'm going to be leaving my doctor. I don't, I don't know. She's gotten me. That's really scary too. Yeah. It's very scary. So, um, just be, be your own advocate. Hmm. Um, everybody's journey is a little bit different, but you know, that's what worked for me. And I think that's why I'm doing, I'm, I'm at the place where I'm at now, but even if you see me well or looking well, um don't assume don't assume really yeah
0: yeah Yeah. Yeah. beautiful one more top three list and this one's my favorite top three things that give you unbridled joy that, you know, I know you mentioned, like, taking vitamins and, like, going vegan right. and things, you know, like, to, oh. to help control our health and stuff, but... But I'm, I'm not vegan. <laughs> no, you're not. But, you know, like, people <laughs> yeah. are making lifestyle adjustments, is my mm-hmm. point. You know, like, when you get chronically ill, you often control what you can, right? Yeah. Um. So, despite maybe lifestyle changes and stuff, like top three things that light you up that you turn to for joy whether it's a comfort activity when you are having a flare or an indulgence that makes you feel amazing what do you turn to well one thing about me i love to take care
1: of me <laughs> so i love this i'm I super love, aligned I'm, with I'm, this i'm very into self-care yeah so um one of the things i love to do was i love to travel mm-hmm. you know out, outside of work i love to vacation I love to go somewhere. I'm not the adventurous type, you know, I don't do any of that, but I love to go somewhere and relax and Mm -hmm. just sit by a pool, the ocean and just relax. This this is my kind of vacation. I'm coming with you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm very much into vacations when my friends want to do, you know, extra stuff. I I always tell them, well, go ahead. I'll Mm -hmm. be waiting here poolside when you get back and I'll be here with my pina colada. I love that. You You also just named my favorite (laughs) drink.
0: So I knew we'd be friends. (laughs) Yes.
1: So I love to vacation. Um, I love spas. Mm. I'm a big spa girl. Like right now um, with this whole COVID thing, I'm just like, oh my God, I need a massage. I know. I'm like, (laughs) if someone doesn't rub my back soon, I'm going to lose it. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I need a hot stone massage so bad. You know, like what am I going to do? And the next thing I would say is because I live in New York, um there's so many different restaurants here.
0: Yeah.
1: I love to dine out. Yes. I am definitely the brunch girl, the dinner date girl, mm-hmm. um, with my girlfriends. By I'm the type of person that I will go by myself. Yes. <laughs> and um I love to just dress up and you know, just go to different restaurants, explore the city. And those are the things that I love to do when I'm able mm-hmm. to do it. And it, you know, it's you know, it's not doing a lot. Um no. and you have to you you kind of have to live your life. The it's like it's a new normal. So I'm not able to do all the other activities, but these are things that bring me joy. These are things that I love to do for myself.
0: And yeah. you know, I, you've yeah. named like my top three favorite things. So. Yeah, those th-
1: th- like th- that's it for me. Yeah, you know? totally.
0: Yeah. I love it. So what is your ask for listeners today? What can people tuning into this episode do to support you and support the polymyositis community and all of your advocacy work?
1: Um, I, I just want to change the minds of what how people view um, disabilities in yeah. general, like the sign, the handicap sign, it needs to be redone. There yeah. needs to be uh, the, the yes, have still have the wheelchair image, but there needs to also be a a, a person standing, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, just just to change the minds of, you know, what does a disability necessarily look like? I love that. And, um, you know, again, just that invisible illnesses need to be taken seriously just as other illnesses are. And that so, a person, just because they may not look like it, doesn't mean that they they're aren't suffering. Mm. And, you know, they could just really be trying to make it through the day. And because they have to. And, um, you know, it's it's usually embarrassing for us to to feel like, you know, you have to go out and say, it, but we usually do because we know no one's going to believe us. Yeah. And I would just say, you know, just be nice, mm-hmm. you know, just be nice. You never know what someone is going through. Don't automatically judge. Even that was something that my mother, you know, she even said that at, at one point, you know, she even said that, you know, when I look at people that maybe go into handicap or, you know, or, you know, I... And I didn't see anything physically wrong with them. She had to step back and say, wow, but this is how people are viewing my daughter. Mm. And I know what she's going through because I'm definitely seeing the bad days when she can't even move. Um, and I, I just would like there to just be more awareness, especially when it comes to polymyositis, because it's so rare. There's not a lot of people that have it. And when you go to see physicians, usually a lot of people do not know what to do with you. Yeah, that's so, really you bad. know, sometimes I want to branch out and maybe move or go someplace else. But at the same time, I'm very scared to necessarily yeah. branch out because I, I wonder. Am I going to find another health system that can take care of me and um, on the treatments that I'm doing now? And if these treatments all of a sudden don't work, are they going to try to figure it out? Yeah. Um, so there definitely needs to be more research. And I mm. also just, I just want to, when other people get diagnosed with polymyositis, that it isn't the end. There are people that are still living full lives. It might look different. And don't let people that say, oh, it could be worse, because you know what, this could be the worst for you. And, you know, um, they just need to watch their words when they say that. And I, we do know that it could be worse. But for, for me, this was the worst. Mm. Um, but just, I just want to encourage those that, um, it isn't the end, but it's going to be hard, um, as you're going through it, but don't think that you necessarily have to quit, um, that, you know, you're, you're just going to, that life is over. It's not, it may look a lot different and things are going to change, but, um,
0: you, you can get through it. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, you can get through it. Beautifully said. So, last question is: What's next in your advocacy and your wellness journey? What does that look like for you in the future?
1: Honestly, I'm just trying to take it day by day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm trying in the, in a COVID world right now with everything going on. I feel like I you can have all these plans, and then now everything is at a stop. So the best thing that I can do for myself at this moment is just take care of myself. Um, because I want to live to, I want to be able to say that I lived through COVID when, you know, several years later and say, wow, this is, this is what happened in 2020. Mm. And I lived through that. And, um, that's just basically where I'm at right now. And, um, my own little personal goals, um, with work and, you know, I'm just happy to be here because, you know, there, there was times when they said that, you know, I wasn't going to make it. And so every day that I'm alive, I truly have to thank God because, um, you know, without him, I don't, I really don't know where I would be.
0: Yeah. Faith has played a a role for you for
1: sure. Yeah. It had to, it Mm had to, because, um, depression is very real in this, in this, uh, when you do have a chronic illness and at no point was I ever offered, do you need to see someone? Yeah. Amazing. You know, at no point, you know, the different specialists for different things, but no one ever asked me, are you okay? Yeah. Well, there's one way,
0: there's one way in which the healthcare system could improve (laughs) like
1: mental health care for
0: all. (laughs) Yeah. What a radical concept. Right. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Nicole, remind everyone where they can find you online. Well, you can find me on Instagram at Pretty Girls Get Sick,
1: and I would love for anyone to join my Facebook private group, Pretty Girls Get Sick on Facebook.
0: Perfect, and we'll link to both of these on the website page for the episode as well, and thank you so much for sharing all of your vast knowledge with us today, for sharing oh. your story. Um, I'm- so thrilled to have had you on the show and, and really truly Lauren, grateful. Thank so thank you.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. That's it, folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.